Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, Episode 5. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the show that helps you build better products and get the press you deserve. And this episode is really going to help you build better products. That's really what this is focused on. Now, when I first made Reader Tracker, the final product isn't exactly how I would envision it if I was to enter it today. And one of the problems that I had was with graphic design because I kind of did it myself. I wasn't as clear with what I wanted. I handed that over to the developer and they just built it. And it didn't look as pretty as I necessarily wanted to. But today we're meeting with Mike Blea, who is a graphic designer by trade. And he's worked for magazines. He's been doing this for a long time. And he also does a lot of stuff with user interfaces and the user experience, which is really important. So I talked to him a little bit about the tools that he uses, what it's like to be a professional graphic designer to kind of get an insight into their life, and then how to best hire a freelance graphic designer and really get a fantastic product. I'm really happy with this show. I know that you're going to like it too. And if that's true, please go into iTunes, give me a rating. It really helps me out. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into the interview. So here is Mike Blea. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Tell us uh, a little bit about uh, you as a designer and kind of what you do in your background. All right. Well, I've been doing design for about 10 years. I um, started off kind of just in high school, messing around with the computer, you know, and trying to um, Photoshop myself into backgrounds of like Hawaii or something. So it's always been computer-based design. Right. I I was always... um, a mock. I used to mock art a lot when I was a child. Um, I grew up taking art classes in elementary school, and I remember telling the art teacher, "Yo, when I'm when am I ever going to use this art? You know, this is a point, pointless. It's never going to make me money." People usually say that about math and stuff. They're like, "When am I ever going to use this math?" You were saying that about art, right? So, <laughs> so my elementary art teacher was like, "Well, you know, I think you're going to be an artist someday. I can just tell." And I was like, "No, you don't know what you're talking about." So she actually was correct because now I'm making a living doing art <laughs> as a designer. So I probably should look her up sometime and tell her, yeah, you were right. Yeah, Fantastic elementary school teacher to be teaching you graphic design in elementary school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly it was like macaroni drawings and uh, sculptures and stuff that I was like, this is stupid. But <laughs> it wasn't stupid at all. Yeah, how'd you come to start doing it professionally from that not really interested younger so I'd always been an artist I'd always been drawing and I just never really had any encouragement growing up so I guess I always had that attitude and I had always been like drawing and sketching and so when I went to college I was actually a computer engineering major for a semester and I went in and I was miserable I took the freshman seminar class they brought in a guy that he looked like a guy from Revenge of the Nerds or something and they asked him questions and he was like oh yeah I work 80 hours a week and I work seven days a week and I'm so happy and I was like that's not for me so (laughs) I I definitely hear that it I mean a lot of times people are drawn into certain jobs just because of the prestige or the money or something and then when they're actually there 
they realize, okay, well, I don't really want to be working these long hours. Right, exactly. I find especially for law, I see a lot of ex-lawyers, especially as entrepreneurs taking my class just out and around. There's so many people that took law school, maybe even took the bar, and then they were like, screw this, out. Right, exactly. And so um, I had taken, I was taking like high-level math courses like calculus, um, physics, everything. And I love physics, so I thought, oh, well, why, should, why don't I try physics? So I took a semester as a physics major, and the first semester was fun until they got into, like, quantum-based physics, and I had no idea what they were talking about. So after that, I decided, you know what? Maybe I should do what I want, and I should go to art school. So my uh, sophomore year, I transferred into a art school program, at a different college, and I started taking classes, foundation art classes like drawing, painting, sculpture, and I started taking like the Photoshop classes and the Illustrator classes, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I love this because I can actually do something with this instead of just painting a blank canvas. And so what? There's a painted picture now. Yeah. So was it a tough decision to leave? Uh, I guess what a lot of people would call more stable kind of professions and careers and pursue something in art? I think so at first, but I had a lot of support from my now wife, who was my girlfriend then, and she said, look, I see you at the library with your head in your hands, miserable, studying calculus, and you're always doodling and sketching and drawing stuff on your math homework, like, so why don't you go do what you want to do? So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, what do I have to lose, you know? Maybe I'll hate it in a semester maybe I'll love it you know and I've already switched two majors already <laughs> what's a third so yeah. I um, decided just to switch to art and never look back and I've been uh, I think the thing that really got me was like doing like Photoshop classes and Illustrator classes and people were asking me like wow that's really cool that's really creative I can't believe you came up with that so it was more taking like all my ideas that I have inside and then being able to see them in real life like in Photoshop or in Illustrator um, like I said, I uh, remember like always photoshopping myself into like pictures of Hawaii because I was like, I hate being here in the cold, you know. So a lot of that was uh, what got me into the graphic design thing, and I started taking more and more classes in graphic design, like publication design, web design, um, topography, and it really started to hone all those skills that I had played around with throughout my life into... Yeah being a real graphic designer. so I think that's something that's really compelling about art and about the tools because I know that I myself have taken a few online courses about Photoshop and different kind of art programs. Or I know when I first bought the iPad, the, it was the very first iPad, I think I bought a 10 or $15 drawing application because it's like, wow, now I have an iPad, I can draw. But then you grab a pen and if you aren't, uh, have, don't have an art leaning, which I don't personally, it's kind of like, okay, well, I, I don't know what to do because really what art is, just like creating products, it's having the fully formed idea for a product in your head. And art is like having a fully formed idea of what a layout or what a design looks like in your head and then being able to put that on paper, which it for me at least, it was when I sort of realized that, it was kind of like an aha moment where I was like, okay, well, maybe I can't just learn the tool. Like, there, there's more to it. I began to start appreciating right. it more. Right. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that think if they get a Mac and Photoshop and Illustrator and all the RAM and all the the high resolution monitor, you know, and then they get a Wacom tablet and they're like, yeah, look, I've got all this stuff. I'm a designer now, and then I'm I'm a Photoshop master now, and so they go in and they have no idea what to do because even if you know how the tool works and if you know how to like create little boxes in Illustrator or InDesign or wherever, you still don't know what to do because you don't have the background, the foundation of knowing what uh, layout is or what composition is or what looks good or color theory. Like there's a lot that goes into it that I know a lot of people that think that they're photographers because they bought a SLR camera and with like digital SLRs, people think that Hey, I'm a photographer. I People can't. that have an iPhone think they're a photographer now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they have a filter. They're like, I'm a photographer. Right. I mean, it'd be as crazy as me being like, oh, well, I have a copy of Xcode. I'm a programmer. Yeah. I can now program anything, which is not true at all. Yeah. You have to have some sort of background in, to do it. So I know in terms of drawing, one of the things that I learned when I was kind of delving into that world was a lot about drawing is and appreciating art is knowing how to look at the lines and when I was thinking about drawing or when I sat down to draw I never really evolved beyond like the random the shape of something like you draw the outline of a car and then you have a car but really when you get into the the artists that are drawing the photorealistic stuff like they're looking at the shades and the light and every single little line and it's so complicated and that's why it it is really difficult um i wanted to ask you in terms of your background prior to this in first engineering and mathematics did that have any sort of play or involvement in your turn to the arts or was it did you feel like it was a completely separate part of your brain i actually I feel like I use both sides of my brain a lot because I took so many high-level math classes. I took calculus. I took linear, linear equations and matrices in college. I was a credit short, a couple credits short of being a math minor. And now, as a designer, I think mathematically as well as artistically. I I'm such a geek. Like I love knowing like pikas and points and being able to do the math. And I understand the math so well that I can do it so quickly in my head while I'm also designing at the same time. And really, like, art is math. Math is art. I mean, if you look at anything from, like, the golden rule, you know, the Petruvian Man by Leonardo da Vinci. I'll link to that so you guys know exactly what we're talking about. So, basically, like, there's so much math that goes into art that people don't realize. And I don't know if, like, a lot of artists realize that a lot of math goes into it. But... They're both correlated, so I feel like I use both sides of my brain when I'm working, which really gives me like a really good feeling inside. Yeah. I know when I took the NYU course about iPhone and iPad development, one of the first days of the class was drawing with code. And so we were drawing shapes and drawing designs on the screen, just like you would do in a graphic editor. And for a lot of people, visually, the graphic editor is easier. But for the more mathematically or development-minded, which was majority of the class that I was in, being able to draw with code was an, a big thing. And that's what they were learning and doing because 
they were understanding the math behind it and it was a different perspective than I had really done it before. Right, yeah, it's uh, like using vectors and shapes and different coordinates to point uh, different shapes. It's really, um, I remember doing that like when I was younger on an Apple IIe, you know, uh, and it was still like a design program, but it was just a different way of doing it. But it shows you how they're so well cor- correlated and they really go together. Mm-hmm. So you have a project on your lap. Which applications are you using to do your design, or how? What is the process for you? Does it start with paper, or do, what, where do? How do you work? I usually first start with paper and pen on everything, um, even if it's just a quick five-second sketch or a ten-second sketch. It just helps me get an idea of where I'm, what I'm thinking, and I'll do probably maybe five to ten thumbnails each. So I have some different versions that I can look at and say, yeah, this works, this doesn't, you know. And it's not really even thinking about, like, oh, these have to be perfect. It's just kind of like a um, just a gesture sketch where you're just kind of just throwing stuff on the piece of paper just to get it down so you can kind of see, like, this works really well, this doesn't. How can I incorporate these two together? And that's usually how I work before I even hop into any kind of software. Mm-hmm. Now, why would... Why does that work differently than being in software, like starting with pen or pencil and paper? I feel like if you don't take the time to sketch it out first and you just go to a computer with a blank screen, mm-hmm. you're kind of just going to have a blank thought in your head. You're not going to have any idea of where you're going. And this goes back to like what you were saying earlier about how you have an idea in your head. Like When you're making a piece of art as well as when you're making an app, you've got to know exactly what it's going to be at least have a general idea of what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to do, what it's po- what problem it's supposed to solve, and how it's supposed to look. You wouldn't just um, like go start trying to build a car. You know, you wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm just gonna get these tools and some metal, and I'm gonna try to make a car. You know, so it's the same thing. There's a lot of structure that needs to go into it, even if it's just a quick five second sketch. I'm very much the same way when I'm drawing out. Uh, app ideas I it's always pen and paper for me and I always encourage my students to do the same because there are a lot of fantastic mock-up tools that are digital mock-up tools for every platform you can imagine but really sitting down with pen and paper is where you start formulating your ideas because even if you think you have an idea of what it's going to look like in your head it always always changes when you write it down. I don't know if you have the same experience. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand that because I was working on a website um, for a company I'm working with right now, and what I had sketched out originally, the end product is completely different. The idea is the same, but the overall look is completely different. It went through a lot of revisions, you know, and a lot of testing to see what worked, what didn't, and you have to be able to be flexible enough to say, this isn't working, I need to be able to be loose enough to let it change, and you can't always be so rigid with, well, this is what I want. Sometimes it grows and turns into something even better. Now, how do you know if something's an improvement or not? Is it gut? Is it training? Are there certain... When you're looking at the 10 different kind of thumbnail sketches you do, what, what is it that tells you to go in one direction versus another? I mean, you kind of know because you look at, like, if you're sketching out, say, like an iPhone app and you're just kind of doing, like, a rough sketch, like, oh, the sign-in should be down here, this button should be here, this should be here. Um, 
you you know when you see it, you see it and you're like, oh, that's ugly, that's terrible, like this doesn't look nice at all. And then there's other times when you do everything in a nice grid and everything's put together well and put in a well-thought place and you're like, oh yeah, that makes much more sense just because it's more clean, it's more organized, it just makes sense that way. So it's kind of a gut thing, it's something you learn, um, but I think anybody that looks at something, they can look at the same app just designed in two different ways and they can tell you, I like that one better that one doesn't look as nice. I want to use this one. Yeah, if somebody wants to get better at that, is there anything that you can encourage them to do? I know it just comes with practice, but if I have difficulty telling this ugly, terrible interface from the really nice one, are there places that I could view side to side? Like, how, how would one get better with that? I think a lot of people know what they like Mm-hmm. And but they probably couldn't tell you exactly why they like it. Um, I think if you start dissecting it more, you'll have a better understanding of why you like it. So if you like, if you buy a ten dollar book off of Amazon on design principles or something that talks about like composition, color theory, uh, organizational layout, and topography, you could probably teach yourself something if you took like a weekend to read the book. Um, and it's very visual too, so it's not like, you know, artists don't like to read and everything, you know, like they like visual stuff. So you could probably flip through the book and read all the captions and you could probably teach yourself a thing or two just by looking at a basic design book. Um, and it would probably help you a lot just to understand why you like something as opposed to not liking it. That's really interesting and that's something I hadn't actually thought of before because I know that a lot of times... I'll read a book or I'll read an article where the author is explaining something and it's something that I feel like instinctually I already know, but it's always good to hear them actually explain it and go into more detail. And I feel like I always have a better understanding and it, it tells me why I feel a certain way and design. I don't know why it would be any different, but it's exactly the same. You kind of have your instinctual feelings where when you look at something you can and you can't but learning design is more learning why you feel that way and it's about colors and it's about typography and it's about all these different things that you might not think it would really be about exactly it's um like a good example is the reason uh, people get so tired of christmas is because of the red and green are complementary and people don't know that like Maybe people say, oh, yeah, they're, they're red and green, they're complementary, whatever. But most people don't know that they're constantly fighting against each other. And people get you get tired of looking at complementary colors together all the time. That's why a lot of colors, there's a tool that um, you had told me about. I use Adobe Color, or K-U-L-E-R, but you had told me about another tool. I'll have um, to find it. That's yeah. a color picker. But basically, it shows you, you can pick one color, and it'll give you a spectrum of, like, four or five other colors that are comp that are not complementary, but they're like tertiary colors that make a nice palette. That's what, um, when you go to make a app and you want to have like a unified color theme, you don't want to be using like ugly random complementary colors like blue and orange or red and green. You want to have like a nice palette. So, um, hopefully you can give the link to that program. Yeah, definitely. The show notes, I'm going to have links to everything we're talking about here. And yeah, in terms of the tertiary colors and the colors that work well together, I don't know anything about color, but whenever I'm putting something together that needs multiple colors, I'll find one of these random color picker applications on the web just because I know that 
there's knowledge there that I don't know. Like I know enough to know that I don't know. And I know that these applications will help. So I can put in whatever color I like, just one color in there, and it'll spit out like five or six other ones that'll work well. And I can experiment with putting those all together and making it look nice. Right, and it's it's interesting that it's also done mathematically, you know? It's, it's all mathematic, yeah. So. so once you have the sketches down, you kind of know, have a better idea of what direction you're heading in. What applications do you design in? I use, if it's for UI design, I'm gonna use Illustrator. Um, a lot of people use Photoshop as well. I find Illustrator a lot more forgiving and a lot more flexible just because it's vector-based. And with everything being higher resolution nowadays, you have different uh, resolutions that are like the iPhone 3G, the iPhone 4S, the iPad, the iPad Air, they all have, uh, one has a non-retina display, the other has a retina display. If you do it in Photoshop, you have to make sure you're doing it at the correct size, the correct DPI, if you will, it's more like pixels per inch, but DPI is an old print term, dots, dots per, per inch. inch yeah. um, if you do it in Illustrator, though, it's all vector-based, which Explain means... Explain what a vector, yeah. So the difference between pixels and ve vector is pixels, so if you do something in Photoshop, it's pixel-based. So if you zoom in past 100%, it's going to look pixelated, it's going to look fuzzy. You see the little squares, exactly. the little dots, yeah. Exactly. So in Illustrator, you can zoom in to 1600 to 2400% on the letter F, and it's going to be crisp no matter what. Uh, you zoom out, it's going to be crisp. You zoom in, it's going to be crisp. When you export it, it's going to be crisp. It's just, it's all mathematical based, um, once again. <laughs> and so there's no need to for the program to compensate to try to make a curve. If you want to make a curve in Illustrator, it's going to be all mathematically created. So it's a very sharp curve that will never lose any kind of quality when you zoom in or zoom out or enlarge it or uh, make it smaller. So that's why I use Illustrator because... It allows me to create and be able to scale at any size, whether it be for retina or non-retina. Now, how did you learn Illustrator? Was it you messing around? Did you take a class on it? Sort of, what's, what was your journey to mastering Illustrator? I took classes in college, and it was just basic stuff like how to use the tools. Um, the way I got good at it was is just practice using it every day. I've worked at, uh, we used to work together at Laptop, and there were times when I had to create logos um, for special stories, and so it's just basically using the tool over and over and over. Um, I know, like, if you do one thing constantly for, I, what is it, 10,000 hours or something? I think something? they say 10,000 hours yeah. is the, to become a master. So, but yeah, so like, if you keep doing it and keep using the tools, you'll learn new tricks. I've also, I've, I'm a great believer in, like, lynda.com classes online. Um, just yeah, Linda.com has awesome video classes. Right. So when they add new things, like when they jumped from CS5 to CS6, they added a whole new group of things that you could do, which I'll take the time and invest maybe, like, I think it's 20 hours. I'll invest, like, a weekend or two weekends, you know, and just rewatch everything because there's things I learned now that I didn't know a year ago that um, these videos teach you something new, saying oh, you can use this tool to do this, and you can do this, and you can do this and that. And it's just, you always have to keep teaching or keep learning to um, just be the best at what you're, at the program you're using. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've done a lot of work 
with magazines and layout. And as you said, we worked together at Laptop Magazine and you were in the graphic design section doing layouts for all of the stories and pictures and the covers. What got you interested in user interface stuff? Because I know that that's a direction that you're heading now and you have some experience in. So I'm really interested in user interface design because I remember I've had an iPhone, I think, since the 3G came out and I got the first iPad and I've always been um, very critical of like the design of apps. I remember um, there were some apps that came out uh, when the iPhone and iPod Touch first came out and they were just hideous. They, they served their function but they were just ugly, and it made it kind of boring to use. I didn't want to use it. It didn't look nice, and so that kind of pushed me into more of thinking, well, how would I do it if I was going to uh, design this app? So I've taken time, and I've, like, sketched it out and kind of played it with new looks, you know, and um, that's kind of been how I got to this new point of pursuing UI design. So how did you start learning about it, and how, how is user interface different from a layout in a magazine, I guess? Or how are they similar? Like, how do they relate to each other? I'd say user interface design uh, is a lot different than a static print layout just because it's uh, not static at all. It's based on if you touch this button, then what is it going to do? So you have to think not only of what it's going to look like, but also based on this input, what is it going to take you to and how is that going to look? So you have to make sure that everything's kind of flowing and meshing together. Whereas in like a print layout, what you see is what you get. You know, you turn the page and obviously it's going to look similar to the other page. And I guess it's kind of just having like a style. So in print magazines you have a style and it's going to flow through the whole book. So when you do an UI app, like a mobile app, you have a style that you want to flow through the entire thing as well. So it's like turning a page in a magazine is kind of like a touch on a mobile application. And then you got to design exactly what happens, what people expect when that touch happens. Exactly. And you also have to take into account if it makes sense to do it that way as well. So it's almost, you have, what to, do you mean? You have to incorporate the user experience along with the user interface, which is more than just designing like a static book or magazine layout. Um, I don't know. Do you guys talk about UX design at all? Like, yeah, let's go over UX, like u- user experience. Right. How, how does user experience relate to that? Well, so user experience is basically how the user experiences the app. So there are some apps that work really well, and you don't even notice that there's anything behind it. You just think, oh, this just works, you know? But then there's other apps that you're like, oh, why is this button here? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't they put this button up here? Like... I always touch it when I'm doing this or whatever. It's it's things like that that make the user experience a better experience. That reminds me a lot. There's a website called Dark Patterns. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I think I have. I'll put a link to it, but it talks about all of the bad user experience decisions that large companies make, and they're not necessarily... Uh, the, I guess they're not necessarily going to cause an error or an issue or a problem or a confusion, but they're going to cause a user to do something they might not necessarily want to do and it's going to be of benefit to the company. So an example would be if you're in the Apple 
music application. You're browsing through your artist and it goes from artist to album to song. And then you go up and you press the back button and then the back button and then the back button. If you press one more time, it's a link to the store. And the store is where you buy the music. Is in the is the button is in the exact same location as the back button. So if you right. weren't paying attention or you accidentally press one other time, you're brought to the store. And that's an element of the user experience and that I guess that would be considered a dark pattern. Right. And there's actually a book that I'm reading right now. Um, it's called Don't Make Me Think. Yes. And I've been meaning to read that. Yeah, it's a really good book. And so basically the guy goes over, um, I can't remember the author's name, but he goes over um, why the first thing that you should be thinking about when you design your app or your website is just don't make me think. You know, I want it to be, he uses an example of um, Amazon compared to another bookstore how in the past other bookstores would be like oh you want to search for a book well first you have to choose do you want to do it by the keyword do you want to do it by the author do you want to do it by the title and Amazon solved that problem by just saying search Mm -hmm. that's all they had to do you type in say you want to type in graphic design books by David Carson you could either put David Carson you could put graphic design books you could put graphic design david carson amazon will take care of it it'll show you all the relevant results you don't have to go through and pick keyword or author or title which that's an idea of good experience versus bad experience yeah i think one of the best examples of that also having to do with search is just the google's chrome browser that was the first to have the all-in-one bar where you could type in a url you can type in a search term you can type in anything into that bar and it would bring you to where you wanted to go and he just knew that and at the time it was just kind of duh and I don't know why the other browsers didn't pick up on that super fast because I feel like okay if it has a www dot in front of it obviously they're trying to do a URL versus if it's just a term then they want to do a search term there's no reason to have them separate but that was just don't make the users think just let them put in what they want press enter and show them what they want to see exactly and i used to hate that i remember there are times when i think i would open firefox or i'd open safari and it didn't have that built into it Mm -hmm. and i'd get so mad i'd be like come on you know it would take me to like a dns error page or something or and i'd be like what come on i just want to search for this i shouldn't have to type in Yeah, because it's obviously i don't want to see this random page i don't know if anybody's ever found use from that dsn unfound page exactly I I've never tried it. Any I think I I have tried it once, like the Road Runner through Time Warner, mm-hmm. and it just gives me a bunch of garbage anyway. So. Yeah, it's all garbage. Right. But I think also, even in terms of not even just the search bar, Google is fantastic about that. And when they started rolling out the quick answers, like if you Google how old is Barack Obama, it'll tell you an age. You don't have to go to a website. You don't have to open anything up. If you type in a math formula, it'll do the math formula. If you type in, I need three cups to fluid ounces or whatever, it'll give you the conversion. It'll just give you the answer. And that's all part of the user experience because what Google was doing and what their design was, is they're thinking, okay, if somebody is searching for what is two plus two, do they want to see websites related to the answer of two plus two, or do they want to know that it's four? And they realize that their users want to know that it's four and they're gonna show them four. Exactly. But then at the same time, it's also a lot harder to monetize the ads of that. So that's 
the big beasts that they're struggling with, but now they have fire detectors and stuff, right. so they're all good. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody has an idea for an app and they want to find a designer, a freelance designer, rather than using the, the default kind of elements, what should they be looking for in a freelance designer if they're out on the hunt? So I would say the most important thing that uh, what they should be looking for in a designer is somebody that listens to them and somebody that actually lets them talk and takes no- you want to if you find a designer who says you say hey I want you to design this app for me and they're and if they're telling you oh yeah we can do I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this drop that designer hmm. you want to find a designer that's going to say okay well tell me what you want tell me what you're looking for tell me why this app is going to be so emotionally great for the general public what problem is this going to solve for your people why are you like just get into their head you want to get into the client's head and you want to tell them like rest make them rest assured so at night when they're sleeping they're not lying awake worrying like oh my god what's this designer going to do is he going to make it look like crap like oh my god what you want to do is you just want to like find a designer that's going to you know he's going to like ask questions he's going to listen he's going to try or she um you want them to be able to take your worries and fears away and that can be through like your portfolio through the designer's portfolio but it can also be from how much time they take to get to know you and your product and i think instead of just going with like oh this guy has like the best portfolio you should think about like does this guy listen to me does this guy is he going to do exactly what i want him to do yeah going to make what you want so when you send an email to a bunch of different graphic designers, kind of feeling them out. You should find somebody that's going to ask questions and see what your needs are because anybody can talk a big talk and it's a lot of times easy to get distracted by that or go with the wrong person just because they're saying, yeah, I can do this, when really they're not actually listening to what you want. Right. If the, des- if the designer talks more about himself than talks about you and listens about you, you should probably find a new designer. What, when do you think somebody should hire a designer if they're doing an app? Is it something that you feel is a necessity, or what are your kind of uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, a designer. I'm sure that you're gonna err on the side of graphic designer. Right. Um, I guess if I was gonna take my car and, and like my clutch was going out, I wouldn't want to try to do that myself because do you know how complicated it is to change a clutch in a car? It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of work if you don't get the the sprockets lined up correctly and the pins and everything it's your car's not going to work so i i kind of take the same approach to like design and a lot of things like there's a lot of things that i won't do i won't hire i won't try to do the coding for my own app i'll hire somebody to do that because Mm -hmm. i think there's so many people that that's their job you know i don't have time to learn how to do objective c to code an app but i do have time to uh, figure out what I want the app to do. I want it how it's going to look, or what it's supposed, what problem it's supposed to solve for my my public. So I definitely think that people should take the time and money to find a good designer and spend some money on it. Because if you want to, it would be like um, I think people should spend money on a good designer because I think they're going to get so much more out of it. You wouldn't go to um, a mechanic that was going to charge you $10 to, on a 
project that was should cost three hundred. Yeah, know, if they're charging not, less. There's probably a reason why exactly. they're charging less. You don't want to really be not worth it, right? You don't want to be somebody's test project. You want to find somebody who's good quality, who's going to do good work, who's going to listen to what you want, and is going to provide a good service. And I think that's the most important thing. If you can't do it yourself as good as somebody else can, I know that you agree with me on this, that if you can't do it yourself, your time is worth money. Yeah, hire out your weaknesses, that's for sure. Exactly. So I personally would rather pay somebody to do something 100% or at least 90% better than I could do it myself. So... Think of it the same way when you're have, looking for a designer or even a developer or a marketing person. If you don't know anything about marketing, hire somebody. You'll spend a little bit money at, more money up front, but you know what? Your marketing will be so much better. If you do the same thing with a designer, the exact same thing. Yeah, you get exponential returns. Exactly. So if how would you feel if somebody started doing the design themselves and kind of hired a freelancer to get their opinions and changes and kind of revisions rather than starting from the beginning. Because I know that hiring a designer from the beginning day want to be like, design this, that can get kind of costly. What are your thoughts about somebody trying to save money doing that? Or is the process too involved? No, I think that if you want to kind of do basically the wireframing and the mock-ups, which is kind of what it sounds like what you're saying is that if somebody says, this is kind of what I want it to look like, you know, like, what do you think? And then you went to a designer and they could say, you know, like, this works really well or this doesn't work very well at all. I would change this and this and this. And it goes back to finding, like, a designer who's going to listen to you. So if you can tell the designer, look, I wanted to do this, I want it to look like this, and I wanted to accomplish this, you can kind of go to this designer as kind of like an advisor who's kind of like the expert, you know, that can say, look... I know that you wanted to do this, or I, I know you wanted to look like this, but it's just not working. Mm-hmm. Here's how I can help you do this and this and this. And that's when spending the extra money to get a good designer is actually going to, you're going to say, wow, look, this guy, like, he knew what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. He knew how to take care of it. And he did it, instead of taking me 10 hours to do it, he did it in two. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think if you want to take the time to try to do it yourself, sure, go ahead. But then if you're having trouble definitely contact a designer and i think that uh you'll see why you should spend a little bit more money to get exponentially better results yeah i always tell people when they're hiring a developer that their goal should be when they hand the project to their developer to make their developer make zero decisions and to give zero feedback if if you want to save the most amount of money in terms of making an application, you need to be doing all of the work and the decisions yourself. And then when you get to the actual code part, just have them make your fully formed idea into the math that is the application. Whereas if you're hiring a freelance designer, it's a little bit different. What you want is that feedback and you don't want somebody that's just going to do whatever you tell them because you your goal with hiring the designer is to learn from them and to have a better product versus with your developer it is just to make the product and i think that's a very important distinction to make right you think of your designer as your advisor yeah i think that's just a really good idea just because like you know your programmer is going to be your programmer and that's he's going to do exactly what you want but definitely think of like your designer as like an advisor who can tell you this works, this doesn't, and really listen to them because you're paying them. You might as well listen to them. They know mm-hmm. what they're doing. 
Yeah. And yeah, the reason why you're paying them is to get their feedback, not just to make your idea, well, I guess to make your idea pretty, but not just to do what you say, but to actually improve upon your idea. So it is important to listen to them. Exactly. Cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks, Dan, for having me. Yeah. for tuning in to this week's episode of the Novice No Longer podcast, where every week I interview people to help you build better products and get the press you deserve. If you've enjoyed this, please do me a favor. Go onto iTunes, give us a rating. It really helps other people find it, and I will love you forever. That's it. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I will see you next time.